Welcome to Grit, Real Stories of Recovery. My name is Paul, and I'll be your host. Please note that this podcast is uncensored and may contain material that is not suitable for all audiences. We're here today with Sean Hoy. Why don't we get right into it? Tell me a little bit about your upbringing, your family history. I had an absolutely great family life, very caring and always motivating me to do my best in life, which in the end had its role in my addiction. My father, I think I've seen him drink maybe 15 times total in my life. And my mother, she drinks on the occasion, nothing extreme. You know, a weekend wine. She could drink half a glass, set it on the windowsill, and it would sit till the next morning, which now still boggles my mind how she could do that. Yeah, I completely relate to that. So it sounds like you had a normal, quote unquote, if there is such a thing, upbringing. You didn't have a lot of troubles, uh, offered all the opportunities. If that was the case, Tell me when you started using and why you started using drugs and alcohol. It originally started out of curiosity, wanting to figure out why all the high schoolers and all my friends enjoyed having the occasional drink at the party, you know, smoking a little pot here and there, and drew me in. You know, I wanted to find out what it felt like. So I initially just started out with the occasional pot smoking at the bus stop, the occasional drink at the friend's house. But it was on an afternoon on the school bus that I had a friend offer me a pill. And that pill was Adderall. And I remember my hesitance in taking that pill. He was like, you know what, if you're not going to take it, I'll take it. And that pushed me over. I'm like, oh, this must be good if my friend's, you know, so insistent and wanting to take this. So I took it and, oh man, game over. Instantly fell in love with Adderall. I found myself in my high school happier than a clam, loving every class, even the ones I hated. I loved it. I was so interested. I loved socializing on it. I mean... It was just an entire change of personality. It was the person I always wanted to be and also motivated. I mean, God, I could crank out my homework, projects that would have taken a month to two to actually complete. I could finish it in a night. No sleep, land myself an A. I mean, it was unheard of. Someone that had to go from studying for weeks on end to I studied for my midterm AP biology. I studied for that the night before with a Cliff Notes book. This was the only time I studied for it. And I had taken three pills of Adderall that I was consistently buying for my friend. Took those, studied one night, boom, A minus. I felt like I was a god on this stuff. Nothing was gonna stop me. That was my initial start down the rabbit hole into drugs. And how old were you again? I think I was about 15 at the time. Wow. And so what I hear you saying is you really liked the effect produced by that. You were social, you were interested, you were higher functioning, and you felt that you had found something that was going to benefit you. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, my parents only wanted the best for me, always encouraging me to try harder in school because they knew the potential I had. But I always loved the easy way out of things. I was the kind of person that would find the corners to cut. And if it worked, bet your ass I'm taking the corner, you know? Right. So this was the absolute best corner I could ever cut. So did that continue throughout high school? Yep. All through my sophomore year, my junior year, those two years, I was still in semi-control. I found myself buying out my friend's prescription faster and faster, 
found myself having more sleepless nights because I was staying up and taking it so frequently. But I had some control at that time. It wasn't until my senior year of high school, my guy graduated. No longer did I have my connect. Being the addict that I was, I decided to use my knowledge and trick a psychologist into prescribing me Adderall. I looked up everything that I needed to say to get the prescription. I used a website to get some assistance and I got it. Did your parents know anything about this? My parents had no idea about my Adderall usage. They didn't know I was smoking pot. They knew that when I was out, they had to assume I was having the occasional drink. I was a teenager, but I still had my shit together for the most part. So I claimed that I was depressed. Depression runs in my family. So, hey, what better claim to make than depression? I go in and then I claim, oh, you know, I'm depressed because I can't focus in school. Right? Right. And with that, I just started playing the role of, I have ADD. I need help with this. I can't do this on my own any longer. Shit, I even claimed that a family member of ours had been diagnosed with ADHD and everything because that's one of the things the doctor was asking. It was like that final checkbox that I needed to check off. Once I hit that checkbox, doctor prescribes me lowest dose of Adderall and I'm disappointed. Absolutely disappointed. It was like five milligrams. and At the time, I was probably up to 90 milligrams a day. So I got that prescription, ate up three quarters of it that night, and started playing my role. It's starting to work, but I feel like, you know, I'm still struggling, and I got more. So you learned early on how to lie and manipulate to feed your drug habit. Absolutely. I mean, play the role of AP student, trying his best, but just struggling with something, you know? And it was because of depression and ADHD. And right. Oh, yeah. Next thing I know, I'm prescribed the highest dosage. I mean, we're talking two XRs throughout the day. Those are the extended release. Those were 30 milligrams and then a 20 milligram in the afternoon of instant release. I might be incorrect. Maybe it was just the 30 XR and then the 20 instant. But, I mean, clearly I made it the two XRs and the instant, which... That's what we do, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, instantaneously, I was my own supplier. It was a dream come true. My dosage just kept getting higher and higher. And anyone that has any knowledge about amphetamines knows that you really can't sleep on it. You really can't eat on it. So I started losing weight. I started going psycho, not having any sleep for... I think the longest was five days up and I was in full-blown psychosis. I got in my dad's car one day after I think it was day three and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh man, I just heard this song last night. This is a great one. I listened to it a couple of times and my dad looked at me with the most confused look I've ever seen. It was because the radio was off. And I, I laughed it off, like, ah, I'm just messing around with you. But it was like, oh, shit, that's kind of freaky. I've never had this happen before. Were and, you uh, having visual hallucinations, too, or just auditory hallucinations? Paranoia was one of my stronger, you know, psychosis parts. I mean, it seemed like everyone was talking about me in school. I felt like things were happening to me that were targeted towards me, that right. everyone was out to get me. I mean, I just got more and more agitated, aggravated. My parents started taking note of this. Next thing I know, they're telling me, we don't like how you're acting on this drug. I didn't like that. So I thought, what's a good way to relax on all of these amphetamines? weed drinking right so rather than stop popping amphetamines i'm like tell you what i'm just gonna start smoking on the daily have drinks in the afternoon to really wind down drink enough to pass out 
from all this Adderall. And again, <laughs> further down the rabbit hole I went. So did this start having an effect on school and fr- friendships, relationships? Oh, absolutely. My friends were very iffy about being around me because they knew I'd become an absolute wild card. School, I was dipping out of all the time because I'd rather go chill in my car, smoke, be away from everyone because of the psychosis side of things. I would walk into class for maybe five minutes and then make up an excuse to walk out and not come back. So my grades started sinking drastically. And again, this played into my parents taking note of my behaviors and pointing it out to the Adderall. Like, no shit. (laughs) I mean, it was the clear contender of what was causing my issues. But did you argue that? Did you debate the fact that that was the cause? Are you kidding me? Of course I did. It was my favorite aspect of life. It was the thing I woke up and couldn't wait to do. Or just stayed awake, you know, thinking about, man, when's my next dose? And when I'd run out, I would look for the connections throughout the school, find someone with a script that they were willing to sell me. I mean, it got to a point where people wouldn't sell to me anymore. And that just pissed me off to no extent because they were saying, we don't like how you're acting. You know, you're going to get us caught up. You're crazy. It was such a spiral that I remember I finally got caught smoking weed. That was the start of even further downhill motion. Was that your first major consequence, outward consequence, besides the lack of sleep, the change of behavior, the dropping of grades? No. I I was having problems with my parents long beforehand. I was aggravated, irritated all the time because but you hadn't know. gotten busted doing anything illegal per se. No, because I was playing it off as things are hunky dory. I'm just having some problems like the typical teen does. It's not the Adderall, it's situational and stuff like that. It was one day I was down in my basement, I'd gone out back and was hitting my pipe and all of a sudden I heard the basement door open up my mom called down and I was like fuck (laughs) it's over I'm like I'm trying to figure out how to get inside play this off I walk inside she's like what what were you doing out back and I said oh I was letting the dogs out oh guess what the dogs were upstairs with her so that that went right out the window sure enough she smells smoke on me and luckily for me in the moment it just smelled like some kind of smoke so i claimed that i was smoking a cigarette because i was stressed you know school's been really rough you know that and so i have this long conversation with her about the dangers of smoking and you know she explained how hard it was to get off and so finally we get through this oh god i want to say half hour to hour conversation and i think i'm in the clear and she starts walking away and she sees a Ziploc baggie sticking out from under the couch. And I'm like, no way is she going to think anything of that, right? It could be snacks or something. She pulls out. First thing she does, she's smart, opens it up and smells inside and instantaneously breaks down, bawling. My parents never played around with drugs. My dad's an Air Force Academy alumni. My mother is a nurse at the hospital. They've never touched the stuff. And it was just, they were boggled. And she's bawling and couldn't believe her son was using marijuana right under her nose. That was a big kick. Did you try to play that off as that's my problem so that you didn't get busted for the harder stuff? I tried. I made an attempt with it, but... Because that's exactly what I would have done. I would have been like, yeah, this is my chance to say it's the fucking pot so that they don't deal with the Adderall and cut me off of that. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. And I could drop weed. Yes, I've been smoking it daily, but this is something I could get away from. Just keep stealing bottles of wine from my mom's, you know, stash. And they didn't notice that? My mom, it was her wedding, and they had bought tons and tons of wine for it. 
and they were also planning on keeping it, you know, letting it age and all that. So they had a few boxes down in the basement, and I knew she barely ever checked it. So I would take bottle after bottle, base it out, kind of push them back into a way that yeah, you couldn't really tell until you could absolutely tell <laughs> that they were disappearing. But yeah, I, I tried to play it off, and then... The request, I want to say it was about a day or two later, came in. We want to see your Adderall script. We want to be the ones in control of it. I shit my pants at that moment because I knew in my car I had a brand new prescription bottle that I had just filled about three days prior, probably half empty. I brought it in, and again, the breakdown. And, you know, I'm crying, she's crying. And then she claims that I'm selling the stuff. Instantly, I'm arguing about that. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not selling this. She she commented. She's like, look at your eyes. And when I looked in the bathroom, you know, I had been popping those like candy that day from stress of finding, you know, the weed and all that. And yeah, I looked and my pupils were so blown. My eyes looked almost black. It was scary. And it was one of those moments where I realized I had an issue and I, I wasn't ready to deal with it at the time. It was like, fuck, I, <laughs> you know, this is, this is problematic, but I'm not ready to give this up just yet. So I hand them over. We talk to the uh, psychologist and everything. I have to admit that I've been taking these irresponsibly. Well, if your parents are willing to hold on to these and dole these out to you, keep taking them because you're claiming that they're helping you, which now I look back on that and that's like, what the hell? It just came forward that I ate up half a script in three days and you're recommending I stay on this? That's one of those moments where I look and I'm like, ah, I probably should have been cut off at that moment. But parents were like, psychologists, the professionals recommending keep giving it a shot. So they take the script and they lock it up. I'm an addict. What's one of the first things I go do? The moment they're out of the house, I'm looking for the key. I am trying to find that key as fast as possible. You know, they only gave me my typical dose. That's a quarter of what I actually wanted. And I found a key. And I took that key unlocked the safe, got all of my XR pills. They were capsules and I dumped them out into a Ziploc baggie and then filled each capsule with Splenda so that it looked like they were still full. And I popped them back into the safe, none the wiser. And I had my baggie of Adderall beads to dip my hand into whenever I wanted and sprinkle into my mouth so that I could stay floating plenty high. It got to a point where I couldn't eat anymore. And so I recognized that they were going to tell that I was still abusing it by my weight loss. So I'd go to McDonald's, get the dollar cheeseburger, and I would sprinkle the Adderall beads onto it to force myself to eat, knowing that if I ate the burger, I would get higher. That's insane. And that was the desperation I had. And all this took place during your senior year. Oh, yeah. This was senior year, absolute spiral at that point. It was bad. Finally, during a physics class, I had a seizure. And they took my script away because of that. First time ever having a seizure. One of the things the EMT said to my mother as I was coming out of it, they're like, this doesn't seem like a typical seizure. This seems like a drug-induced seizure. The script got taken. This was my livelihood. This is what I lived for at that time. And to have that pulled away from me in an instant crushed me. Absolutely, you know, flattened me to the ground. So I made the decision I was going to kill myself. I mean, my parents were very disappointed in me. Adderall abuse, smoking weed. I think at that point they had figured out that I was stealing their wine too. And yeah, decided I was going to kill myself, stole one more bottle of wine, and took a bunch of my sleeping pills, hoping that it would kill me. Next day, I'm waking up to my dad losing his shit on me because all he sees is an empty bottle of wine laying next to his passed out son. I wasn't the kind of guy that writes the note 
no, I just wanted it to be over. So you didn't even get the satisfaction of or someone seeing or hearing your cry for help. Exactly. I mean, my dad's losing his mind. Why can't you stop kind of deal? And I'm actually depressed this time. Brain chemistry is fried. So I decide that if the pills and the wine didn't work, I'm going to go into the bathroom, break apart my razor, and try to take one of the small razor blades and slice my wrists open. Well, those small little razor blades are very difficult to handle, and I just couldn't cut deep enough. And so I gave up. You know, my dad sees that there's blood on the ground, and I'm like, listen, just drive me to school. Fuck this. Let's just go. And nope. Straight to the hospital, 72-hour hold. While I was there, you know, in the psych ward, I started noticing things getting better as I sobered up more, got more support and everything. I started feeling like life might be worth it. And that lasted for about a month before I was right back to it. I mean, I couldn't get away. Did you go back to buying it at school? Absolutely. People just thought I disappeared for a couple days. I mean, it was me. No shock there. Me disappearing, you know, I still had a few hooks. At that time, yeah, I kept scoring. I got back on weed again because I claimed that, well, it's because of not smoking weed. That's why I had the seizure, not the Adderall, right? God forbid. And it was back to the races, and my parents caught me again. Uh, They went out and were buying drug tests that I started having to do randomly. And even that, I didn't care. I did my research on things that could present false positives and stuff they finally you know cracked down on me and the end of summer of high school I graduated by the skin of my teeth and my parents had finally gotten through my thick skull to stop I took a pause for a bit looking at college CU Denver I thought I was going to be okay until I ran into my friend who said let's smoke a bowl I smoked a bowl I ran to another friend who sold me a baggie of Adderall. And my parents at the time weren't drug testing me anymore. So I was like, all right, as long as I keep it low key, we'll be good. And once I'm in college, it's over. You know, I can do whatever the fuck I want. So it sounds like you went through a lot of the stages that take many of us years to go through. You had those all over the course of a year in a very compacted manner, right? The ups, the downs, the manipulation, the lying, getting busted, making promises, all that stuff that many of us do over the course of a number of years happened to you within the course of nine months? Oh yeah. Might as well get it all out of the way while you can. I was in that mentality of live fast, die young. Most of my friends were finding success. I had my small group of friends that were doing the same stuff as me, but not in the sense that they couldn't keep up. Yeah, that was my experience too, right? In which all your friends are doing what you're doing, and then I keep doing it even when I'm not with them. We would go to a party, they would drink and use, but then they would stop. I would go home and continue to drink and use, right? But I kept telling myself, All my friends are doing it. I'm normal. And I just blotted out the fact or refused to look at the fact that I was probably doing it five to ten times more than they were. Most of my friends weren't even messing with Adderall because I think they saw the effect it had on me and were like, God, no, not touching that. And I had kept telling myself, well, it's a prescription, so it can't be like all these other hard drugs. It's meant to help people. It's helping me. So you got into college? By the skin of my teeth. And so did you go live at college or did you live at home and go to college? I got into the dorms. Okay. And so with all this freedom, what happened? Uh, We all know what happened. I didn't go to college. In total, I think I hit my first semester classes about half the time. I still had some motivation of wanting to succeed there, but my interest kept dwindling more and more. During this time frame, I start making connections with guys. 
finding my hooks to the races yet again barely pass first semester absolutely fail second semester because i'm not going to class anymore again buying up everyone's script of adderall people are cutting me off i'm smoking weed on the daily and i drop out of college and i remember the look of disappointment on my parents face and my dad said okay you go get a job right now you've got three months to get out of my house I don't care if you have a place to go or not. You've got three months. I want to see you bringing back applications, proof that you're looking for a job, and you're going to start paying rent here. And I was like, I'm your son. How could you do this to me? <laughs> I, it was like their own kind of step in a way. Right, right. But I went out. I found a job. Move out with an old roommate. He smoked daily, just like me. So I would have someone I was selling to fairly regularly living with me. I mean, what better? You know, my income was right there with me. Work my job on the side, get stoned there. No one gave a shit. And what type of job did you have? I was a server at a pho restaurant. And the reason I got hired on was because I dropped off an application. The boss was out at the time. And when they looked at it, they thought I was Asian because of my last name, <laughs> Sean Hoy. So I went in and they were super confused initially on, you know, why this white kid was standing there. It was hilarious. I, I loved the place though. They were absolutely amazing, welcoming. I fit right in. They were great. They treated me like family, but I didn't treat them that way. I mean, I found myself spiraling very quickly on Adderall. I finally admitted to myself, I have a problem with Adderall. You need to get off this stuff. Got introduced to cocaine. How did that happen? Work. <laughs> Funny enough, I had a guy at work and he started giving me free lines while we were on shift and I started enjoying it. He just said, hey, do you want to try this or do you want this or had you ever done it before then? I had tried coke a couple of times in college but like it didn't line up to Adderall you know it was like a waste of money it's more expensive and everything not the same high but after coming to terms with my Adderall problem coke was the next best thing it gave me a decent amount of energy I became that person I wanted to be I could drink more on it I could work harder on it and I I thought it was a good replacement healthy healthy replacement for Adderall that's nuts. That's what addiction does to us, right? It skews the way we think. It skews our decision-making. Initially, I was doing it on the weekends. I'd buy an eight ball, last through a weekend on that, and it just the eight ball wasn't enough for the weekend, so I'd buy a quarter ounce. And then the weekend spilled over, along with my drinking. I started drinking and snorting because I'd get too up there, so I'd need something to mellow me out, so the drink would do that for me. My roommate started not liking the way I was acting, so he dipped out on me. So now I'm holding down an apartment that I definitely couldn't hold over on my own. Lo and behold, my grandfather's inheritance, when I turned 21, came to me. $10,000, perfect timing. Uh, probably the most inopportune time looking right. back. No one knew. My parents had this idea that I was paying my bills. They saw that I was doing well at my job. They didn't know the problems that loomed. And it just went downhill real fast. That 10 G's was gone. I will never forget when I swiped my card to pull money out. And it said insufficient funds. That was one of the scarier moments in my life because no longer had a free ride. I was damn near at eight ball a day and I was drinking at least two pints a day and it was bad. It was really bad. And when the money ran out, the problem didn't. It was still there. I still had the same desires to be using the same amount. And every drop of cash I had was going towards it. So did you stop paying rent? Who needs rent when you have cocaine and alcohol? Numb yourself up, you know? I found a roommate looking for some salvation. And he gave me that first check. And what did I do? I went, I cashed that, and went to my dealer's house right away. And sure enough, we get evicted. 
never thought I would get evicted from a house. I tried to play it off. I went into their office and spent an hour and a half with them searching through the money orders, claiming that I had dropped off my money order and that it must have gotten lost. I went so far as to call uh, Western Union and claim that, oh, I had gotten this money order and you know, I just need some kind of transaction receipt, hoping that somehow someone had withdrawn that exact amount on a money order that day. If I had spent even close to half that time at my job trying to earn that money, I would have had it, no problem. But it would have gotten in the way. I mean, I just, I was blinded by my addiction. So you, it didn't occur to you, maybe I should quit now. No. I start drinking and using heavier and heavier rather than look for solution. Right. And the night before this whole ordeal happened, I am talking with my friends. We've been drinking, doing blow, and I'm like, man, I'm too smooth. I've never gotten in trouble with the cops or anything. You know, I'm never going to have any legal problems. I'm going to keep my nose clean. Famous last words, right? Absolutely. Next day on the job as a delivery driver, I went to go pick up from my dealer and I get pulled over thinking it's a typical traffic stop. And next thing I know, they're asking me to get out of the car. And I knew things were not looking too good at that point. Being a typical traffic stop, I hadn't done anything with my drugs. They are in my little change compartment and they asked me to step out of the car, step out, and they asked to search it. Fuck you. <laughs> That's what ran through my mind. I'm like, no, nah, get a search warrant. I'm not letting you search my car. I know my rights. And they said, that's okay. We got a team of drug dogs right behind us. We're going to let them sniff around. And they kept asking me and asking me, you know, is there anything in the car you want to tell us about? And I'm like, no, no, deny, deny, deny. Dog starts hitting on something. I try to claim that it's the empty weed container in my car. And finally, it was just like, they got it. They found the Coke. It was over. And then they approach me and they say, listen, you tell us where you got this cocaine and we might be willing to let you go for the day. No way. But in my mind, I'm like, maybe I can trick them into thinking I'm giving up someone and I'll be good. They'll let me off, right? They end up sending an undercover to me wearing a balaclava and everything so I can't see his face. And he's like, all right, tell me where you got it. And I tell him, oh, some guy off Colfax wearing a red shirt about the most basic explanation of somebody you can give. He's like, you're going to jail. And I agreed with him. I'm like, guess I am going to jail because I'm not snitching. And you probably had no idea that they had been watching your dealer for a while. See, you knew. I didn't. It wasn't until later down the line in court when I had been trying to argue my case that... I found out it was local task force. Yep. Yeah, they knew who your dealer was. They were trying to build up a case against him. They didn't want you, the user, but they were going to bust you and use you as leverage to get to him. Exactly. I mean, looking back, that was exactly the case. I mean, again, this is my first time getting caught up with the law. I got caught in that same exact situation. And I knew when I drove away from my dealer's house... And I watched this unmarked Tahoe start following me. I, I knew exactly what it was going on. And they pulled me over and they were like, you know why we're pulling you over? Give us the drugs and you will testify in court or you will go to jail. And I did what you did. Guess I'm going to jail. Right. And I mean, in the moment, it just, it seems so natural. That was my lifestyle. You don't say a word. And I never said a word. But it wasn't until the next morning in Aurora Jail when they're transferring me to Arapahoe County that the reality really set in. That my first time encountering the law is felony possession charges. Yep. I, I Initially, I thought it was funny. I was fucking smiling in my mugshot. They told me, you need to stop smiling. This isn't a game. And I still had this shitting smirk on my face. 
I still got the mugshot. I, I look at and laugh because I'm like, you ignorant son of a bitch. You have no idea what is going on. Yeah, when reality set in, when I called the only phone numbers I could remember, which unfortunately were my parents, to tell them what was happening, the disappointment was insane. My dad goes, so what, DUI? Now I'm like, nah, not DUI. And he goes, what? I'm like, possession. He's like, a marijuana? I thought you had your med card. And then I have to share that it's cocaine. And that I might be using cocaine very frequently. And it was just like, I could hear him shaking his head on the other side. And I'm like, listen, I'm not looking for bailout or anything. I just wanted to let you know why I'm disappearing for a bit. And yeah, my parents loved me enough not to bail me out. No, they're smart enough to hold me responsible for my actions, but they did pick me up from jail. And I found at my dad's house, all of the doors had locks on them now, except for my room. Every single door. It it blew me away. I was almost insulted. Like, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to steal from you guys? Reality was, I, I was at a point where, yeah, I probably would if I was not being watched over. Six in the morning, my parents are waking me up and I'm trying to give me a couple more hours. Nah, get your ass up. We need to talk. And they pull me downstairs. Here are your choices. We can either help you out. We can look for a place for you to go get help or go do your thing. Go keep using, go keep drinking, but don't talk to us anymore. We're done. That will be it. And I had finally come to the realization that I didn't want to lose my family over this. It was the first you know, reality of what my using was doing. Something of deep emotional significance. Because it doesn't sound like losing your home, losing your job, losing your money, getting arrested had the same impact on you that potentially losing your family would. My family was loving. They were supportive. Yeah, it meant something to me. And I think I had started coming to a conclusion before my arrest that I wanted the help, but I really didn't know how to stop. And not knowing how to stop, I didn't care at the same time because it was like, I don't know how to stop, so I might as well keep doing this. You know, it's what I know. So my parents assisted me in finding a place to go. And where was that? Salvation Army ARC, back when they were open. So you didn't get to go to some country club rehab? No. Initially, one of the things they talked to me about was finding a place that could immediately take me in, an insurance place that would cost an arm and a leg for a couple weeks there until a place could actually get me in for long term. Or we made the deal, if you can attend a 12-step meeting every day, once a day, bring back proof, that you attended it. We'll let you stay there until, I think it was like two weeks until I could get into Salvation Army. We can let you stay. But if you fuck up, we're going to send you there. And my parents had gone through enough that I didn't want to put them through anymore because they were trying to help me get right that I followed through. I actually started hitting 12-step meetings. Yeah, next thing I know, I'm checking into the ARC for six months. Yeah. <laughs> Lord have mercy. That was... And what was that like? Oh, it was like 11 months because I couldn't get through a six-month program without fucking up. I mean, I, I went in there. I was coming towards the end of being 21 at the time, and I still thought I was hot shit. I thought I could live my life the same way, just be sober without the drugs and alcohol. Felt entitled that... It wasn't fair how things went. Having to work in a warehouse 40 hours a week plus, all I got was a bed, three meals a day, some classes, and five bucks a week. That's not enough for me. So I decided to start stealing from the warehouse, selling to the guys on the inside who would then take it out and sell it for even more money. And I finally got caught. I was month three. I thought it was going to be over for me. I argued my case of, again, this is like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I actually want this. Why do I keep doing this kind of situations? Then I was told, you can either stay and we'll put you back at day zero or you're done here. I chose to go back to day zero. Still at the time thinking it was bullshit. Totally unfair going back to day zero for just stealing a little bit here and there. But 
I had a sponsor at the time who was like, who gives a shit? Like, you're back at day zero. You are blessed to still be here. And he's like, I don't care about your little, you know, whining, bitching about this. You either are going to man up and do this or you're not. And I had another resident who asked me, this, this hit so hard, it pissed me off so much. He said, when are you going to grow up? And oh, I got so hot under the collar. I was furious about that. Like, who the fuck are you to say that to me? But it kept playing over in my mind. It was like, yeah, when are you going to grow up, Sean? Do you want to keep living this way? You're clearly not getting anywhere. These people are here to try and help you. What are you going to do about it? So do you think that was your aha moment, kind of your epiphany that changed the perspective and what you were going to do moving forward? I think it was the start of it. It was the bigger aspect of my recovery really getting going because that first three months was kind of a joke because I treated it that way. But yeah, things started rolling for me. I found tons of support through my peers. I would have left 10 times over if my peers weren't there to support me, talk me through this. And what were some of those conversations like? Oh, Like, do you really want to leave over getting a write-up over your bed not being made? I started becoming a little stubborn also in the sense that I wanted to show them that I could do this. And I, my dad had also made comment that the numbers were stacked against me. He was terrified about the outcome of my recovery because he's a numbers guy. I was like, I'm going to show everybody that I can do this. My peers were right there alongside of me pushing me to keep going. Some of my peers that ended up leaving over a relapse, coming back, provided me with even more support than I think they'd ever know because they told me about the things that caused them to relapse. I didn't want to follow in that path. I think the one that really got to me was a guy that I looked up to. I thought he had a very solid recovery. He left and he came back and he told me, I just didn't have the structure after leaving to stay sober. I didn't know how to live outside of a bubble of recovery. And thank God I had a couple of my friends come to Step Denver. They're telling me, you got to come to Step. This place is amazing. It's going to really help you stay on the path. I was like, no, I'm going to try the uh, re-entry program at Salvation Army. It just wasn't working for me. The way it was structured made it very difficult to find a job. So finally I broke down. I was like, all right, all right, I'll come to step. You guys said, all right, we'll give you a chance. Let's give this a shot. And that's where things really started for me. I had a good base for my recovery, but it was here that I learned how to live in recovery. So what were some of the things that you did, you know, not really having to do with step, but just that you found in a peer recovery program that worked for you to to head you down that path to long-term sobriety? Again, it's the support. Walking in here day one, I could tell it was night and day when it came to the attitude of the guys. There were guys that really cared. And it was the community I wanted to surround myself with, which drove me to really build that up while I was in here. I keep in contact with my friends from recovery from the program to this day that a couple of them were in my wedding. I never thought, you know, I would have people from recovery in my wedding, but that's how close we got. Guys I could trust taught me how to be responsible with my money. I got to build credit. I was blown away when I was told you're trusted with a $500 credit line. I was like, really? If you knew my past, you know, (laughs) but I, I was taught, I learned how to do that responsibly. I just, I was guided in a fashion that I wanted to see myself succeed and not just stay stagnant. So did you stay engaged with the 12-step program? Did you have a sponsor, work the steps? During that period, yes. I was attending 12-step meetings. I was working with a sponsor. I worked through my second uh, 12 steps with him. It was a new sponsor. And yeah, I was still attending all my meetings and everything. During the program, I was However, after Oxford House, I did reel back on that. 
I landed a job here at STEP. Now, mind you, STEP is not my recovery. I want to make that very clear. My job is not my recovery, but I deal with recovery as a recovery support manager where eight, 10 hours a day, five days a week, I'm talking nothing but recovery. I'm talking nothing but coping skills, being a peer support, looking for solutions, And a 12-step meeting after all that discussion just, it would have been too much, in my opinion. I still needed a balance of spending time with my wife, my family, some self-care time being down. However, with things progressing in a different fashion, that will no longer be part of my daily job routine of talking, recovery which means I need to find that recovery once again. And that's where, it's again, those 12-step meetings where I know I will be welcomed back in, where I know I can find another sponsor. Yeah, I need to get back involved. Do you look at the disease of addiction as a chronic illness? Absolutely. No question about it. I've seen times in myself where I have reeled back on my medicine taking, in a sense, not practicing my principles um, as thoroughly as I should be. And I've seen an effect on myself. Like what? What does that look like? Irritable, discontent, just overall, we like to call in the rooms dry drunk, an angry sober person. Where I I started feeling a little anger about being sober for a bit there. I was like, why the fuck am I doing this? Well, the reason you're doing this is because if you don't, everything you have built up falls apart. No question about it. And I mean, luckily, through peer support, through family support, I've been able to pull myself out of those slumps, learn from those slumps. And if that occurs again, jump on it faster and faster to the point where I can be mindful and not allow those to go more than a minute, you know? So recovery has kind of made you a little more self-aware with your emotions, your behaviors, feelings, those sort of things. Yes, very much so. And I mean, there have been times where I'm taking full recognition of the irritability. I know that things are going wrong, but I'm stubborn sometimes. You know, I want to take back the control of my life again. You know, it's like, it's time for me to drive one more time. Uh, luckily I hit the guardrails enough Mm -hmm. to, uh, keep me from going over the edge. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of what this place has taught me that kept me from going over the edge. So what is your life like now? You told this amazing story of some pretty horrific consequences in a very short period of time, followed by a couple years of very intensive recovery and now working in the industry. What is your outside life like? Incredible. I mean, absolute 180 from what six years ago looked like. I have a wife now. She is amazing, absolutely supportive. My parents, my brother, They all actually enjoy being around me. They want to hear from me. I get to spend time with them. I don't do the, oh yeah, I'll show up and then not show up any longer, which I I never realized how big of an impact that made until I had further discussions with them and just the disappointment they felt from that and being there these days. I mean, it has an impact on me too because it's, I want to be there. It didn't feel like a drag or, you know, waiting to get out. What's it like not to be slave to obsession and compulsion? It's weird sometimes because you got to realize I spent years and years building up that behavior. But to wake up in the morning and not crave something, not have a self-driving car that magically will find its way to a dope dealer's house or a liquor store. I, I was choosing jobs based around how close they were to liquor stores. I don't do that anymore, especially working here. I mean, you know, it's just, it's incredible because I don't feel like I'm carrying around my own cage any longer. Yeah, that's well said. Do you ever think about using? Does it ever pop into your head? Maybe that'll be okay. Absolutely. It happens. It does. And I was recently in the Bahamas and I'm sitting there with my wife on the beach and the thought crosses my mind. Sure would be nice to have good old pina colada cold in my hand. 
like everybody around me. Right. But it wouldn't be nice because I would be a mess likely. The vacation wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't have the wife next to me. It does cross because I enjoyed the substances I used. I wouldn't have done them for so long if I didn't enjoy them. But that enjoyment turns into a task, mm-hmm. a chore that you then have to worry about on the daily. And it's not being in the Bahamas to enjoy the beach. It's worrying about, am I bringing down enough liquor to the beach to carry me over for a bit? It's not about the beach anymore. It's not about being with the wife. It's about the liquor. It's about the Coke. Wow, that's really well articulated. If you were talking to someone new, had a similar experience to yours, someone listening to this, maybe thinking my situation is very similar to Sean's. What would you say to that person right now? It's possible. You have the opportunity. If you have even an inkling of wanting to get help, try this out, really. My first experience stepping into a room, I didn't know what I was getting into, but it changed my life. It really did. Give it a try. You can always back out. Man, very well said. Everybody has their own story. We all go through our own shit. For some of us, it takes a long time. Others have consequences on the short term. Some have it what might be perceived worse than others. But it really just comes down to how you feel. When I can't take this any longer. And hopefully for those folks that are not yet in recovery... It'll happen before they die or before they end up in jail or before they accidentally kill somebody. Sean, I can't say thank you enough for sharing your story and and being completely transparent and honest about what you went through, what it felt like, what you did, and what your life is like now. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you, Paul. This podcast is being brought to you by Step Denver Men's Residential Addiction Recovery Program. Step Denver gives men with nowhere else to turn the opportunity to overcome the consequences of addiction through a program based on sobriety, work, accountability, and community. For more information, visit stepdenver.org.